Some of you may think that we're doing this all on purpose so that you will give so we can get into a new building. This is a little, this is a little bit like, I was trying to think, what is this like? So they got to come in and wire and sit and bring all the stuff in. And it's almost like every time you pull in your garage, if somebody for the rest of your life made you take all your car apart, put it all just somewhere in the garage, and before you leave in the morning, you got to get back up and put all your car back together before you leave. I would be walking, I would be Ubering, I would be doing something other than that, but uh, it's been challenging. Okay, we need to pray before we get going here. We always need to pray, but we really need to pray this morning. Uh, I, I think this is profound, as I said a minute ago. I think this is profound. I think the, the order in which Jesus puts these, I think sometimes we get, we put Jesus' teaching, we just put it kind of a disparate, almost like Confucius says, and it's almost like a fortune cookie statement, a fortune cookie statement or something, you know, and they're just kind of discombobulated and they're just kind of thrown together in a big pot. And when you need something like that, then you kind of pull it out of the pot. But I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think he's giving us a, a succession plan. One thing builds upon another thing, builds upon another. And when, once we can understand that, I think it will begin to come together of what he's trying to communicate to his disciples. This is going to be my take on it. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 17. We need to pray. Lord Jesus, we need help. We want to understand what you said. There are many here that may be still wondering whether or not you were the Messiah, whether or not you were in fact resurrected, whether or not you were just some guru teacher that lived 2,000 years ago or whether or not you were, in fact, exactly who you said you were, God come in the flesh, part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning that you would send your Spirit, give us insight into your words. What are you trying to communicate? Let's, let, we wanna get down to the nitty gritty here. We want our lives to change, and we want our lives then to be used by you for your purposes. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Luke chapter 17, we looked at this last week. We got into this issue of stumbling blocks and I was very, tried to be very upfront with you and said one of the great fears in my life is that I would become a stumbling block to somebody else, that in some way somebody would associate me with Jesus and the more that happens, the more you become public about who you are, the more opportunity there is for obviously people to either be impacted by your life as a stone remover, if you'll remember what we talked about last week, or actually as a stumbling block. I do not, I cannot, I fear, I, I never, Lord, never allow me to become a stumbling block to somebody else trying to enter the kingdom. Religiosity can in many ways be a stumbling block. It certainly was for the Pharisees. Our passion and our love for this valley will have an impact if we never, if we stay a million miles away from any stumbling block status. And that's what we looked at. So I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna reread these passages, this verses one through 10, Luke 17, one through 10. And I wanna to try to now successively put these things together. I think they are deeply connected and I think it'll give us uh, maybe some insight and some real practical application. You ready? All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Everybody else can go home. I have one sweet, precious woman who's ready to roll. Everybody else wants to go look at the mountains and I don't blame you, but here we go anyway. Verse one, and Jesus said to his disciples, look, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. It's inevitable, but woe to him who through, through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea 
then he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's not just talking about children that may have been playing or someone. It's about anybody in terms of, uh, as we looked at last week, in terms of their spiritual maturation. You can be 95 years old and be a spiritual infant if you just come to Jesus. And by the way, that's available at all times. Well, it was even to the thief on the cross until his last dying breaths. He came in at the last moment. So, number one, I don't want to be a stumbling block. Number two, what is the primary stumbling block? Number one, stumbling block. Well, he says it right here. Be on your guard. He's just, he's, so he's talking about stumbling blocks. Now, be on your guard. If you're wanting to live a life of not, of not being a stumbling block and maybe even becoming a stone remover, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. That just seems so ridiculous to me. I mean, in some ways, okay? Somebody comes up and kicks me in the shin, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that really, really hurt. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm so sorry. All right, all right, I forgive you. But golly, I'm not going to be able to walk for a week. An hour later, he comes, and he kicks me in the shin again. Jeff, I'm just so sorry. I just, you know, and he's got sharp, pointy shoes on, you know? And, and I'm just, oh, man, oh, Jesus said, I forget. And then, you know, an hour later, I mean, just sometimes you say there has to be a point at which the person's not being sincere. They're not, I mean, there's a lot going on here. Let's just categorize that all that as an endless willingness to forgive. A deep, sincere, abiding understanding that I forgive because I have been forgiven. Stumbling block number one, forgiveness. Now, the second part of this, because it doesn't seem to follow, it really doesn't to me. It seems like he just jumped topics, and we don't know exactly. I think this is a continuous conversation. I'm viewing it that way. I guess there could, they could walk on down the road, down a dusty road, come around to Ben, have a little lunch, and then this could emerge next. But for us, in terms of the narrative, it appears that this is the next statement, and I believe it's concurrent. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, it would take a lot of faith to live that kind of lifestyle. That kind of unending forgiveness. I mean, think about forgiveness. What would happen if the world was just driven by forgiveness? Well, we wouldn't really need lawyers. I mean, we, really, we're, we wouldn't have Russia, Ukraine right now. We wouldn't need, I, 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 by the way, I heard a lawyer down front laughing. But anyway, and that's true. That's true. I know exactly who it is. I won't say anything, Bob Warren. But anyway, so look, we, we look out and we just go, that, that lifestyle is just inconceivable. Now, for them, it would have been the Romans who were brutally killing their people and taxing them. That was basically mafia-style stuff in, in their eyes. Their holy temple, their, I mean, let, give us our nation back. I mean, that would have been extraordinarily difficult. You know, we don't live in a country that's been dominated and overtaken by another country. I don't know what that feels like. Maybe some of you had immigrant parents or something, and maybe some of you even had to flee persecution and an incredibly difficult situation. I understand that those go deep. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for the Ukrainian people. 
once this is finally over. And the genocide that appears to be these unmarked graves and all the things that are going on there, I can't imagine what that must feel like to have your apartment ripped, ripped apart by a bomb in the middle of the night or, or a children's hospital ripped apart by a bomb. I mean, I just cannot imagine the unforgiveness that would begin to build in you or in me if that was to happen. So that's why I think this is concurrent. I think what their response is, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're gonna need, for that kind of lifestyle, we're gonna need faith that is, well, extraordinary. And they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith, just like a mustard seed, will you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So first of all, I don't wanna be a stumbling block. Second of all, I want to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. And next, I want my faith to be increased because I'm gonna need it to live that kind of a lifestyle. And I'm gonna address two ways, two ways that we can increase our faith this morning that I think work into this next part which seems again completely disassociated from what they just talked about. But it's clear to me that Jesus immediately then says, which of you being a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you may eat and drink. This has not worked well with uh, Laura, my wife. But no, I'm just <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She actually does, you know, she's amazing in that way. She cooks for me all the time. The only reason I was able to say that is she's not in here. But he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say this. Now get this. Here's what I want you to say. Here's the attitude I want you to have. We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Now, how does that follow from increase our faith in planting a mulberry bush out in the middle of the sea? I think Jesus is giving us an insight on how to increase our faith. I think he's still talking about the increase in faith. And I'm gonna show you how I think that is the case. Everybody hanging on? Are you there? You ready to roll? Okay, here we go. Here we go. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Uh, many of you know this, but it's a significant part of the, uh, the, the complexity of what it is to come into an unseen realm and what kind of an ethos is directed in that way. What, what, is, what defines the unseen kingdom of heaven? Well, obviously the fruit of the Spirit and joy and peace and long-suffering and all those things are true. But the core ethos is oftentimes linked to our willingness to forgive. Endlessly, without ceasing. An attitude that just refuses to make a case against a, a people group, a race, a friend who used to be a friend and really did me wrong, someone who may have abused me, taken advantage of me in a business deal, I just lose the right. Right? Is it a right to not forgive? It's a catastrophe in our soul. Jesus says this, if you forgive others for their transgressions, well, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. Now that seems so central to salvation. I thought salvation was just by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. But Jesus is the saying, this is so fundamental to your faith. This is so central to understanding what it is to follow me that it's all wound up in a faith, belief, and receive response. In other words, you can't just believe in me and then not follow me, abide in me, live in my words. You, th those two things are incompatible. I can't from a distance say I intellectually assent to the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago and believe these orthodox things about him and then just go back to my life. This is so central to our understanding of what it is to operate in this unseen realm of the kingdom that will one day overturn everything and will actually make heaven, heaven. For whatever reason, he has called us to live in a fallen world and take into the fallen world this attitude of I refuse to make a case against pretty much everybody. I just refuse to do it. I'm gonna be like Jesus, or that's my intention. They were hanging him on the cross and he looked down and said, Father, forgive them for they just don't understand what they're doing. What happens when we don't? Well, just practically, I was thinking, well, what does happen when I'm unwilling to forgive? First of all, I lose confidence. I began to lose confidence. You think you might gain confidence because you're holding out somebody else and in a position of, you know, they owe me. But I lose confidence. And certainly if I know anything about the spiritual realm, I began to realize, well, just from what we just read. I mean, the Father's not even forgiven me. I start to feel insecure. I lose confidence in the unseen realm. I feel there's a block. Whether I'm conscious of that or not, there begins to be something in between me and God. There's some divide and I can feel, you can feel it in your soul. You don't have that kind of joy. And a lot of times we can trace that back to somewhere, somewhere along the lines, you are holding somebody to account and refuse to forgive. I can see it in people's eyes, I really can. It, there just is something you can just tell, there's a vibe. There, there's, some, and there's an atmosphere that follows someone who's still living in unforgiveness. I think a lot of the rebellion that comes against just the core of who Jesus was and what he talked about and all that, a lot of that resides at a very low level of unforgiveness. I was abused, therefore I, I'm holding God to account. Forget the person, of course I'm not unforgiving of that person, but that person may have died 15 years ago, but I'm still holding God to account for allowing that to happen to me, and it changes the whole disposition of a person. They really lose confidence. There's no ability to hear his voice. This is what Jesus is saying. There's, I think there's a sense of dread based on what we just read. I mean, if you know anything about the teaching of Jesus, you know what's foundational to Christianity, true biblical Jesus followership, it's forgiveness. It's hard to pray, it's hard to worship, and using Jesus' language in John 15, abiding in him is very, well, I'd even say it's impossible in any consistent, meaningful, 
transformative way, we have to know that forgiveness is a core issue. And by the way, if you don't forgive, you become a stumbling block, especially to those who observe your life. You're holding somebody else in prison, but what you've actually done is you've signed the little warrant and you've put yourself in jail and you've locked it and you've thrown the key outside your reach. That's what you've done. And that becomes a stumbling block for others, but ultimately yourself. You have stumbled. You have stumbled. Well, what does this have to do? Okay, so there's forgiveness. I don't wanna be a stumbling block, but why immediately this faith issue? Where is their faith? Uh, we're gonna look at a connection that I believe Jesus makes in Mark 11. He connects this understanding of forgiveness and unanswered prayer. He does that, and it's similar to what we see in Matthew 21 that we'll read in a minute. Uh, when he's talking about this fig tree withering, and we looked at that a little bit earlier, uh, a little, excuse me, a little bit last week. But I wanna get into this a little bit more deeply. I wanna look at how do, how is Jesus trying to communicate that we, well, that, that we have faith? How does our faith grow? And he says, a mustard seed, and you can say to this mulberry tree, you know, be, be planted in the sea and it'll be done. And you can't take that literally. I mean, I still don't know, I've not heard any reports over the last 2,000 years where somebody has believed so powerfully that, that a tree just miraculous, and the root system comes up and then it just kind of floats through the air. And I hope, a, you know, the sea, it traveled, you know, 50 miles all the way to the sea, the Mediterranean Sea or whatever, and then somehow just kind of was planted in the sea. Never heard of that. So has nobody had even the faith of a mustard seed? Or is Jesus trying to communicate something a little bit more significant? Symbolically, I think, symbolically, he's trying to communicate here what it is. Now, this is a little speculative on my part, but I did a little investigative work, and I read some things about this, you know, these mulberry trees, and their root system is profound. It really goes deep. It's very deep, and it can disrupt all kinds of things around it. In fact, we had, we had a similar tree. It wasn't mulberry tree. We had a similar tree in our backyard, and we had this little, you know, you've had this little sidewalk going around, and the root system started pushing the sidewalk kind of stuff up, and we had to redo it and go in and cut out some roots and things like that. I think, I think what Jesus is communicating by that is there are some things that you might imagine are so deeply rooted that there's no way they could ever be upended. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who are so deeply rooted in, in kind of a, a, a hard stance against Jesus, and it's one of the great things that you struggle with and that you, that you really have a hard time with and that grieves you and that you weep over. And Jesus, I think, would be saying, it's something like that. If you have faith of a mustard seed, you can say to those deeply root, deeply entrenched things, and they can be somehow pulled out and be planted somewhere else. I, I think that's what he's talking about, and we'll see in a minute. He also uses this language talking about saying to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it'll be done. Same thing, it's either things that are deeply rooted or mountains, seemingly insurpassable, well, things in front of you uh, that are just like, there's no way. Now remember, he's not, he's talking about within the spiritual realm, right? And so we have to understand when he's talking about faith, how do we increase our faith 
And then I think it's connected to prayer. There's one thing that will increase your faith as much as anything else. Are you ready for it? Do you know what increases your faith? Prayer that is answered. Now think, I just want you to think back over your life. I was thinking about it this week. Prayer, the reg- and, but even more than prayer, it's the recognition that through faith, I have the ability to do something significant in the unseen realm. Had a friend this week. We've been talking about it, praying about this opportunity to have a very evangelistic thing that would be going on here before long. And it just seemed like there's no way. All the doors are closed. We're just gonna pray. We're just gonna pray that this deeply rooted, this mountain thing or this deeply rooted thing will be removed and cast into the sea somehow that God's gonna open this door, but it just seemed impossible. And then boom, it happened this week. And at the end of his text to me, he said, I just can't even believe that this happened. I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, now you think that's gonna increase our faith or decrease our faith? One of the things I, I think, what I want you to get this morning is that Jesus is building here, right? You don't wanna be a stumbling block. You've gotta have forgiveness. Forgiveness is tied to, unanswered prayer is tied to unforgiveness, by the way. Biblically, we can see that over and over. And so I want you, if you just have this, the faith of a mustard seed, to say to this mulberry tree, be planted in the sea, or this mountain, be cast into the sea, or whatever, you, you've got to realize you have that kind of authority in faith, and nothing builds your faith like acting on it, and then seeing it come to fruition, and then going, I'm going to do that again. Hey, I want to do that again. I'm believing for things today that there's no way I could have believed 25 years ago. And the reason my faith has grown is not because I'm just a better guy. It's not because I'm just some, you know, mystic or some kind, or I went to seminary or, or, or fill in the blanks. The reason my faith is extraordinarily larger than it was 20 or 30 years ago is that I've seen that when I do act on my faith, I actually have the ability to, to change things in the spirit realm. People come to know Jesus. Relationships are restored. I mean, radical things that transcend way more than just money or this or that or anything that's gonna pass away and be temporal. I'm talking about things that have, uh, well, that have the capacity to transform lives we need faith for that kind of lifestyle yes you do say it say into this so number one is that the recognition that I can impact the unseen realm with applied faith based on the fact that I'm living in the ethos of the kingdom which is a endlessly unceasingly forgiving place I cannot effectively stay in the kingdom 
unless I am a forgiving person consistently and ongoing. And what happens is when you become that person, you move away further and further from judgmentalism and the holding court and holding everybody else accountable and always having to talk about everybody's failures. And nobody wants to be around that kind of person anyway. And it's a stumbling block. And so that's why I think Jesus is successively showing us what it means well, first, you have to forgive. Second, you've got to apply your faith. And then la secondly, as it relates to how to grow our faith, Lord, increase our faith. He tells them not only that, but he tells them this last strange little parable or whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, this master and slave scenario. And so I'm going to call this, you have, you must have a change of identity. You have to have an identity as a slave, a bond slave. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, before we do talk about that second part, which is identity, I wanna go back and I wanna just say there are a few things that will hinder your prayer. Hinder your prayer, hinder your ability. I want you to rethink prayer. Don't think of prayer as just asking God for like Santa Claus and here's a list of things I want this Christmas. I don't want you to think of prayer like that. I want you to think of prayer as discovery, number one, and then number two, the ability in faith to have things change in the unseen realm, which will then manifest in the seen realm, which is what we'll see with this fig tree that he curses and things like that. I mean, strange things. He was showing them how things could operate. You have that kind of authority in the kingdom. But if you're unforgiving, you're not in the kingdom. You're working in the world system. And you shouldn't be surprised if your faith, well, is not growing or that it's not manifesting by seeing things change. You say, well, I've been praying about that a lot. Well, there are some things that can hinder prayer. I'm going to take you first to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. This is the confidence which we have before Jesus, him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, a lot of people, they pull that out. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. But they, there's, there are a few other things that are added. We, we want the full story here. Remember, in the kingdom, what is the kingdom? It's the will of Jesus. The kingdom of God is, by definition, the rule and the reign of Jesus in our lives. So when we're asking things and all things will, I'll give you anything you ask, it presupposes that I'm already living in the will of Jesus, which is the kingdom of heaven on earth. Eventually, the kingdom will manifest in a way that is visible and powerful, and there will be no more tears and no more or no war, none of that. The lion will lay down with the lamb. That is coming, but the kingdom is already. Jesus says the kingdom is in your midst. It's near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In what way? The opportunity to live under the rule of Jesus, and remember what that looks like, ceasing, ceaselessly a ceaseless willingness to forgive defines the kingdom. So if I'm living in that kingdom more and more and more, then I should expect that I can pray for anything according to his will, because that's what the kingdom is, and it'll come to pass. 
Why do I have the confidence in certain things? Pretty much the, con- the confidence I have in praying for things are things that I do with all my heart believe that are his will. I believe we're gonna get a church built on Jefferson Street. I have no reason to believe that. COVID really kind of, it hurt our congregation. I mean, we, we're, le- we're probably less than half that we were before pre-COVID, you know, and then we were in a theater and we didn't meet, and you know, all this. And, you know, if I were just to I'll constantly become, oh, not working now. Oh, let's change directions. Let's change directions. The certain things that I have faith for, I have faith based upon my, my belief and in and, and, and counsel of many and all, and our belief, I would say ours, not just mine, our belief that God has called us to do certain things. And so I'm praying according to his will, I should expect that they will happen, even though I don't see away from here to there. I don't know how that's gonna work. That's, well, that's the thing. I don't have to know how it's gonna work. My, my, my task is to believe. My task is to believe. Secondly, Jesus was clear, and I alluded to this a minute ago, John chapter 15, verse seven. What will hold you back from answered prayer? Well, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So it's, it's again, it's a, it's a sense of his will. It means abiding in Christ. Boy, we could talk about that for a long time but also in his word, it's what we're doing. We're really working to abide in his word. Not just read it and then have some kind of cursory thought about it. I mean, go deep. Jesus, what are you trying to communicate to us? Well, I wanna abide in it. I wanna live by it. I wanna be informed by it. I want it, to, I want it to impact my life in a profound way. The very way that when you taught this, you were anticipating your disciples would live into. Lord, help me live into, abide in your word and when that begins to saturate you not just going to church every once in a while or going to a group and doing a little bit i mean live in it i mean everything about me is devoted all the intentions of my heart are can be judged by everything that's abiding and when you get more and more into that space in being in the kingdom guess what happens well you're in tandem with jesus and it doesn't matter you just ask whatever you want and it will be done for you It's a powerful thought, isn't it? And what increases your faith? Act on what you have been told today and you'll see it come to pass. Your faith will grow and he'll give you something larger. If you're faithful in the little things, he'll put you in charge of bigger things. And all those bigger things in the kingdom mean is that your faith is growing. And it's growing and it continues to grow. And all of a sudden you say, that's such a, faith-filled person. I wish I could be like that. Don't be a stumbling block. Live ceaselessly in a place of forgiveness. Act on what you have so that you might see things change. You know, doubt is the third thing that will obviously affect answered prayer. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 21. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and well, he found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples were, well, they were amazed. (laughs) 
And they're like, whoa, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, well, it's gonna happen. And all things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. Now, in the recounting of this in Mark chapter 11, if you're taking notes, verses 24, I believe it's 24 and 25, Jesus, the same encounter, he curses the fig tree, and then they're amazed at it, and then he follows that closely again with what? You must forgive. If you're praying, go, seek, forget, get, get the forgiveness out of the way. You don't want some kind of blockade, do you? You don't want a blockade. You don't wanna, you don't wanna start to feel that dread, that separation from his will, that disconnection from God. You don't want any of that. That'll lead to doubt. That'll certainly lead to you not abiding in his word. It'll certainly be the opposite of living in his will. We know what his will is. He tells it's clear. Seven times. Fourth time. Wham! Oh, gosh, my shin. I can't. Now, I know some of that sounds, that's a little bit of a ridiculous example. But that's what it feels like. Some of you have been treated poorly in different ways. Now, there's a sidebar to this. Obviously, if you're in a place, God doesn't require us to live in a place of danger or, you know, where you know, there's all kinds of things, abuse, abusive situations. I mean, look, there, there's, there are remedies for that. But even if you separate yourself from the person that may, uh, you know, your abuser or your, someone who's sinning against you, there may be some separation there but you still in your heart have to forgive them. That's the point. Okay, let's just make that clear. That doesn't mean I say, oh, here comes the shin kicker. Here's my shin, right? And I pull up my pants. All right, I forgive you. I forgive you. I mean, that's not, that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. But I have to have the heart and the willingness to ceaselessly forgive. And he connects that to prayer. He connects that to faith and the ability to say to this mountain, be ye cast in the sea, and that fig tree, that fig tree. And by the way, if you go back into scripture, it's exactly what happened. He, he just did that symbolically. If you go back to Hosea 9 or Jeremiah 24, Joel 2, different places in the Old Testament, who was the fig tree? The fig tree was Israel. The fig tree was Israel, and the fig tree blossoms. And then when he goes on to say, when you see the fig tree blossoming, and it's talking about a prophetic kind of future picture, you know, be ready because that generation will see the second return of Christ. And so the point is, is that Israel as a nation, not all Jewish people, but Israel as a nation was rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And so it was another way of saying that, well, if you look down the road here, the temple's going to be destroyed. They're going to be wiped out. And that's exactly what happened, if you know anything historically. 70 AD, Titus rolls in, they wiped it out. And then again, Hadrian in 130 AD came in, salted the whole land, temple was destroyed. And that's why you have essentially rabbinical Judaism, that is that it was the only sect of Judaism that continued to exist through the Pharisees. And now they had no temple, they had no ceremonial ability. So it began, uh, that's how, that's what con that was a con the continuity that we have today, even to rabbinical, rabbinical Judaism. But Jesus said, you know, it's, you're rejecting the Messiah, and yet it was already prophesied that they would reject the Messiah. So it's a, we don't have time to get into all that, but that was symbolic of something very specific. But he had the faith to do that. 
And, uh, and obviously he got that from the word too. And that's what we learn in Romans 11. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Abiding, his will, living in the ethos, willing to, willing to ceaselessly forgive. All those things will increase your faith. They will also do what? They will help you not have hindrances to your prayers, which does what? increases your faith because now you pray for something living under the rule of God and what happens your faith increases because you see things happening I can't I I, I don't know I don't know how to describe it more until, until you've until you've seen these things occur over and over and over and prayer being answered you'll have a very low level of faith you must see prayer answered to grow your faith. So, I don't, but how do you do that? You can't have unforgiveness in your heart otherwise, or doubt, or try to live in your own kingdom. It won't work. And so your faith will stay small. Your faith will stay small. Finally, James 1, verse 6, same thing. James 1, he says, but he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought to not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Obviously, lastly too, selfish purposes. These are not master-driven. This is not kingdom ethos. This is just me wanting what I want when I want it. And rather than being in tandem with what Jesus wants, James 4 says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Okay, now I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not a monastic. We talked about that. The Lord blesses us with things to enjoy, all good things to enjoy. We, I, we did a whole series on that a few weeks ago. But it's important that you see that the kingdom, what is the kingdom? And this prayer that is always going to be answered, it's the advancement of his glory and his kingdom where his w will reigns supreme. And you get in that place, of, and it's defined by forgiveness and all that, and guess what? You're just going to start seeing things move. You're going to pray for things, and they're going to happen. That's wild. Have you experienced that? Well, we prayed for, you know, Ted's knee. There's nothing wrong with praying for somebody's knee or shoulder or, you know, whatever. And sometimes you see something happen. Well, it was kind of the doctor, but it was kind of this. Don't, that is such a low level of faith. You want to graduate to where you're praying about people coming to Christ. Whole cities impacted by, by Jesus. Revival, all kinds of, you want to see that kind of mountain moving, roots ripped out of the ground, that kind of stuff happening. And you're just going to become, your, your faith is going to grow. It's going to grow and it's going to grow. And then lastly this morning, I think there's a second aspect to this, which is, Lord, increase our faith. And then he tells a strange, a strange little story, right? About, well, you don't, if, you know, if you're a slave, you come in, you get yourself ready, and you go prepare the master's meal before you eat. And then when you're done, you should have, you should say this. I only did what I should have done. How does your faith grow? Well, there's not just, there is a willingness to identify as a bond slave. Now, what is that? Now, again, let me just say, for those of you who may, we're not talking chattel slavery. We're not talking the horrors of the African slave trade that have just been a, 
abhorrent thing to the United States of America, and we're still paying the price, not only the African-American community, but the whole, whole, our whole nation is so plagued by the atrocities that happened with chattel slavery. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bond servitude. You get into debt to somebody, you could sell yourself, so to speak, to pay off your debt for a period of time, things like that. That's essentially what we're talking about. Those are not, those are not the same thing. But just to understand, so identity. Well, if that's our identity, and now you're saying we're just unworthy slaves, bond slaves, we've done what we ought to have done, what does that do? How does that increase your faith? Well, first of all, is it even important? Well, Paul, listen to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter one, verse one, right? How he starts out his letter. Paul and Timothy, bond slaves of Christ Jesus. What was his identity? Superstar apostle. I'm gonna write two-thirds of something they're gonna call the New Testament. I'm gonna be more read. I'm gonna be the most well-read person on the history of the planet. Way more than anybody that will ever come down the pike. No, bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.10, he writes to the, this region of the country for, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus. I'm an unworthy slave. I only did what I, what I should do. See, he was living and abiding in the words of Jesus. And in doing so, that was Jesus' answer on how to increase your faith. Why? Because if you're a bond slave, you're living in the kingdom and you're willing to forgive and you're not a stumbling block. And when all those things are true, when you pray, things happen. If you don't have the identity as a bond slave, <laughs> I'll just tell you right, you're not gonna see extraordinary things. You're gonna have faith. You might even have saving faith, but you'll, it'll, it'll stay at a low surfacey level. You'll never, you'll never get to that place where you really feel that I, I, my faith is so, it's powerful and I know the Lord's gonna answer my prayers because I'm living in such tandem with his will. But you have to see yourself as a bond slave because that's sanity in the kingdom. He's the king and I'm the servant. First Peter 2, 16. I want you to act as free men, Peter said, and I, but I don't want you to use your freedom as a covering for evil, but here's how I want you to use your freedom. You have freedom in Christ. You're not under the law anymore, but here's how I want you to use your freedom. I want you to use it as bond slaves of God. Are we free? Sounds like you're pulling me back into some kind of cult here, Jeff. I mean, this seems crazy to me. I don't know how all this would work. No, we have freedom in Christ. It's amazing. We are not subject to the law anymore, though we're led by the Spirit. We've been given taken out of custody from the law under the tutor of the law as Paul told the Galatians we've been given over to the lead by the spirit but what happens we use that liberty to be bond slaves again in other words everything that he says goes and we have that attitude and when we do we're going to see amazing things and what's that going to do it's going to be the answer to their question Lord increase our faith why would he have told that why would he have told that strange it seems so what would, it's just, that has nothing to do with the question. It has everything to do with the question. What is your identity this morning? A bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be said, 
about me. I want that on my tombstone. I'm making that, I'm making that declaration. I don't want anything else. I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I ought to have done. Jeff Cranford, bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and your faith will continue to grow. You know, there, <laughs> there are no safer harbors than those for bond slaves of Jesus. You can be diagnosed with the most severe form of cancer. You can... And I, I will not outlive what he's called the days that he's numbered for me. I have no fear of death. Bond slaves don't fear death. They know to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? What's there? What's there in this kingdom? Peace is there. Contentment's there. Passion, joy, liberty. Extraordinary faith is there. Miracles are just part of of the landscape because Jesus is there. If you're abiding in Jesus, as they were, literally, they saw all kinds of things. Are you seeing things like that in your life? Would you say that your life is, a, is an unpacking of the supernatural from day to day? I'm not saying every day is filled with some gargantuan miracle, but you should be part of some kind of missional community that's seen wild things extraordinary things the uprooting of things the moving of mountains you should be seeing that so here's the summary here's the summary identify as a bond slave make the spread of the sacred places of God your highest priority kingdom person point people to the highway of holiness that we talked about last week be a Declare, I'm a stone remover. I'm not only not a, a stumbling block for somebody, I'm actually going to be a stone remover. Determine never to be a stumbling block, obviously, but then determine to act on the faith you have, however small, and trust that it'll be enough to move mountains. Now, what are my specific actions? Well, if you've been a stumbling block to somebody, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Today, I don't want the sun to go down. If you look back over your life and go, I was a horrible example. I, I, I behaved in a way that I want you to go today, call, make a call. The person's dead, do something. Write it down before the Lord. Do, do something. Confessional lifestyle, do something. And go get that right. Don't be a stumbling block. If someone else has been a stumbling block in your life, forgive them today now you can do that even before we finish you want to hear the Lord speak he's speaking through his word right now forgive them ultimately in an ultimate way they probably didn't know what they were doing either oh yes they did you may say they, they were very interested but in an ultimate way did they really know would they have done that And then you want to multiply your faith? Well, change your identity. You're going to be a bond slave. Stay in the word. Act on what you know. You just can't do it unless your channels are cleared. Forgiveness blo unforgiveness blocks your channels. So those are the tactics for not being a stumbling block. 
But you know, when you put all those together, this is, this is, the, uh, this is the antiviral, right? If stumbling, this is the antiviral to get engaged, to live into the kingdom, to abide in his word. And guess what? You get consumed with that, you'll look back and go, wow, I haven't been a stumbling block at all. It'll just be part of your persona. It'll become, you won't even be thinking about being a stumbling block. You just, you'll be thinking about being a stone remover. Well, that's how I read Luke 17, one through 10. And, and, I, and I think it's right, as Forrest Gump would say. And I think it's right. Uh, what a lesson for me today. So where are you on the spectrum? Do you need to forgive somebody this morning? Is your faith dinky? Who wants a dinky faith? Like hitting a dinky drive. It's like terrible. You know? Can't even get to the fairway anymore. Is your faith can't even get to the fairway anymore? I mean, come on. You don't want that, do you? Church at the Red Door, do we want that kind of faith? If you're watching today, maybe you're just tuned in or something. And Well, the first most important step of faith is towards belief in Jesus and receiving Him. But then we abide in Him. And that's why we come here on Sunday in an effort to abide in His Word. So uh, that's Jesus' admonition to you. And I think that you want this kind of life. You, and and, I'm, and if, you, if you don't think you do, I'm just telling you, you want this kind of life. But uh, we, we need to hear the Lord speak. Now, many of you know this is my favorite. It's just like that last, that last song we played. She's forever going to have braces in our church, right? The little girl who sings, you know. Uh, I, mark my words. I don't know who that is, that, that sweet girl that sings that last, whole, you know, verse. That, I play it about once a month just primarily because I like it so much. And it makes me, it re- it's like a reset for me, that last song. So like a reset for me. It just is. I can come in all grumpy and I had a bad week and I, you know, I'm tired and I have, you know, I got sick again and yada, yada, yada. And I'll play that song and I'm like, let's go take him for Jesus, you know, <laughs> somehow. But I guarantee you that girl in that braces anymore and somehow we're going to get her to, maybe we'll have her day one when we open the church. I'm going to find that girl somewhere and I'll come. Now you just come sing that live for us because I think that would be pretty cool. So I believe we can remove that mountain. So uh, anyway, if that's the Lord's will. So let's pray again that the Lord would speak to you and that you would act on it and don't wait.